think if you are able to bear the mantle of responsibility in a gracious way and understand that a lot of requirements that come from being a business owner have to do with tons of work, like constant work, putting in hours and hours of daily effort and then accepting that responsibility in a way where you don't pass it off on other people or project your frustrations on people around you. And if you're able to bear that load, it can inspire everyone around you to want to try harder as well. Welcome to The Profitable Table, fed by Woolco Foods, the nation's first podcast devoted to the business and lifestyle of the hospitality industry. Now, here's your host, Woolco Foods CEO, Stephen Toberoff. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Profitable Table, fed by Woolco Foods. I'm your host, Stephen Toberoff. And today, my guest is someone that I've been looking forward to speaking with for a while. I have a lot of questions because every aspect of what they're doing is something I'm interested in. And um, let me just get right into it. My guest today is Eugene Cleghorn, who is the co-owner with Sam Neely and operator of Super Burrito in Rockaway Beach in New York City. Uh, Eugene, thanks so much for taking the time to speak with me today. Thank you for having me. So, you know, before I get into it, Eugene, can you tell me a little bit just about yourself and and how you got involved with Super Burrito? I grew up in San Francisco, California, and I was raised by a single mother. So we would often move throughout my childhood. When I was a baby and when I graduated high school, we moved about 20 times, but we were always in the city. And uh, I guess a big part of my upbringing was access to delicious burritos and Mexican food at the many taquerias in San Francisco. And besides that, I played a lot of basketball and was often kind of on my own. My mom was working a lot. So I would frequent these taquerias growing up. I guess another part of uh, that backstory is that I was always kind of around bars and restaurants as a young child and young man. And um, one of my earliest babysitters would bring me to a bar called uh, Tornado. He was the bartender there. So as a two-year-old toddler, I have like vague memories of kind of the smell of the bar and like the sticky, like kind of beer-drenched floor mats and things like that. And people like looking over the bar at me and like calling me cute and things like that. (laughs) So yeah, it was a somewhat unusual childhood, but My first job was working at the sausage shop next to the bar when I was 14. And I would just prep onions back there for the sausage shop. And then from there, my mom ended up opening a sausage shop of her own. It was like grilled German sausages. And she worked long days there. She'd work like 15 to 17 hour days. And after school, I would go there and relieve her of work so she could go home and rest for a bit before closing up the shop. And I guess that's where my career... There's a lot in your story, believe it or not, that I can relate to on some level because my parents got divorced when I was five. And um, my dad, actually, for many years, I was born and raised in New York City, lived above uh, a bar, Dorian's. And I spent, even though my dad wasn't much of a drinker, I spent a lot of time in there. So when you're giving me those memories, it it brought me back as well. 
So that's kind of interesting. Like my, I spent a lot of time on my own as well. And my, you know, my father was in sort of the restaurant business delivering uh, eggs and stuff like that. So like, like I say, brought me back. And uh, it's interesting sort of the, the foundations that we think of. How did you come from the West Coast to the East Coast and settle on the location in Rockaway Beach? Yeah, I, vi- I visited New York for the first time when I was 12 with my mom. And then for whatever reason, I don't know, I think it was the energy of the city. It was bustling. I was, I was kind of a New York Knicks fan. I, I got to see Madison Square Garden and I'd never encountered anything like Manhattan. And from that moment on, I endeavored and kind of decided that I would live in New York City one day. So when I graduated high school, I saved up some money and I just moved to New York. And I uh, subletted an apartment in Park Slope and looked for a job on Craigslist and found a job at a uh, taco truck in Williamsburg called Endless Summer Tacos. And they hired me on the spot. And that's where my New York experience began. Oh, that's cool. Let me ask you, what what year was that? There's a reason that I'm asking. That was uh, 2007. Okay. Because the reason I'm asking is I was on, I've been on your website before, but I was on your, your website today getting ready for this interview. And I love, I love everything about your website. But to me, it takes me back to when I was a kid and beyond that, which is the 70s and the 80s. At least when I'm looking at that stuff, what made you settle on that type of, because if you came here after high school in 07, what made you settle on that type of, of branding, which is really beautiful. And you know, you talk about taking somebody back. When I was on your website, I immediately am having flashbacks to like the Bad News Bears and, and my whole thing growing up and then the video games and Atari and all that stuff. What made you settle on that type of, of way to communicate your brand? It's amazing, but I'm just curious. Well, a lot of that comes from my business partner, Sam. His father was an ad man and he grew up going to a lot of like different shoots for advertising. And his dad worked with like luminaries in the film industry, such as Spike Lee and Spike Jones and David Fincher and others. And Sam grew up obsessed with film. He made a lot of short movies as a child and was really into it and is very much like a visual, visually minded person. And I have to credit him with pretty much all of our branding and like Instagram stuff for the most part. It's very cool. And it, and you know, like a lot of times you can almost see sometimes when people are picking and choosing certain iconic fonts and iconic branding imagery from different eras, but yours is really authentic, like I said, because it's speaking to someone directly of my generation. And I guess Sam's background would also tie into something else, which is very cool on your website, which is the Super Burrito TV. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I guess part of what excites both of us about owning our own business is we learned early on that we could pretty much express ourselves however we wanted to. And that since it's our own business, we can create our own ads, we can create our own content, self-produce ways to market the business. So a lot of that was collaborative. A lot of it was us sitting down and coming up with ideas for um, how to make advertisements ourselves. And then him having a, a background in film, it allows him to kind of express that part of who he is. You know, what's really cool about that, Eugene, and 
is like there's so much uh, information out there now and businesses are starting to, like, for example, I have a podcast, right? So one of the things that you hear a lot about in business, just from a purely transactional standpoint, is content creation. But with you guys, your content creation is coming from a place of where that's almost foundational or might even predate the super burrito, which I think gives you an enormous advantage because the content you're putting out, you're not putting out just because this is something that businesses do now. I have the same view. Like when I started this podcast, it was because I genuinely wanted to have a deeper connection with the people that we were doing business with. And I wanted to discuss subjects. You know, there's a ton of content out there now about recipes and foodies and all of that stuff is very important and I, I'm interested in that. But I wanted to have a podcast that dealt with the other aspects of of owning a restaurant or a bar or something in the hospitality business. And what you guys are doing, and I love the way you say that, it's true. Business gives people, and now more than ever with YouTube and Instagram and podcasts and blogging, you, you can be as creative as any artist and be a business owner. And I think you almost have to be. Yeah, I I agree. We met in high school, so we've been friends for a very long time. And in our youth, we used to make short movies and like and comedies and stuff. And oftentimes I was I was the actor in these videos and he was behind the camera. So the idea of now having a platform where people are actually going to see what we create because they like our food and because they like our product was really exciting to us. And some of his ideas kind of show his like innate understanding of marketing and advertising. Like for instance, we have one video that it promotes like a perfume called Super. <laughs> and like it's this woman on a beach like in the sand in a bikini with this perfume and she's and then he talks about like all the fragrances in it and it's like ingredients in our burrito like beans and cheese and rice and things like that um and like that's something that i think only an ad man or someone who comes from that kind of background can can mesh those two things. And uh, I don't think it comes naturally for a lot of people, but it does for him. And for that, I'm really grateful. It's really cool. And it's one of the great things about the era we live in now as a business person, which is, you know, the other day, a friend of mine posted something on Facebook. It was this girl, a 21-year-old, singing a version of, of the Fleetwood Mac song, Dreams. She was just in her room singing it. And it was an unbelievable cover. And I was, I was like blown away by it. And then I just, you know, just Googled the kid's name and like within 10 hours of posting that or some ridiculously short amount of time, she had had interest in a record label. And it just struck to me, like in the 1970s to get a record deal, you would have to go through so many middlemen. It would be insane. And it's like the same thing you're doing now. I mean, people are engaging with your brand and your company, Super Burrito. So now you can immediately get them to engage in whatever else you want to create. Yeah, I think um, the democratization of information and access to information also extends to food as well. You know, there there was a time probably in the 90s and the 80s when chefs would have to travel halfway around the world. Like they'd have to go to France to learn French techniques or like how to make duck confit or something like that. And now you can just research all of this stuff online and learn how to do it. And like, yeah, it's not it's not the same as having like hands on instruction from an expert chef, but you still have access to that information. So, yeah, I agree. 
No, I, I completely agree with you. I think also one of the things that's less and less significant, which I like and I think it's kind of cool, is people don't have to be quote unquote credentialed. Like I don't have to have a degree in broadcasting to have a podcast. And I did an earlier interview with a terrific person named Caroline Schiff. She's the executive pastry chef at Gage and Tallner, and she's getting a lot of press and a lot of accolades. And she studied under a pastry chef in New York. And like with so many other things and foods, actually, I never thought of it until you mentioned it like this, but you're right. I mean, food was the same as anything else that, you know, if you wanted to do X, you had to certain get A, B, and C credentials. And that whole dynamic is, is non-existent now, which I think is a great thing. I think it reinforces the creativity of everything. Yeah, I think so too. Um, it also, you know, we, we built out our brick and mortar um, during the COVID outbreak this past March. And it was like shortly after the shutdown when finally our permits after six months had all gone through and we were just about to break ground and then the shutdown happened. So we ended up building out most of the restaurant ourselves with like a small group of friends. And in the same way as you were saying earlier, like we were able to teach ourselves on the fly how to frame out a counter or build wainscoting or like build a soffit. All of these things were available to us online as well. <laughs> and you know what's like so cool about that is whether it's understood explicitly or not, I really believe that and I wanted to get into this, so I'm glad we transitioned to it. Like I really believe that people who are coming into your spot, whether they explicitly know that you're the one who built it out, there's a feeling that will be transmitted to it, which is just further reinforcing the whole creative aspect that's going on in addition to the food. You know what I mean? I mean, how cool is that to be the one that builds it out on, you know, on everything? Yeah, totally. It's like, for us, there have been times when we've asked people for advice or like asked people that we deemed were like experts to, to give us assistance. And a lot of the times during the build out, some people would make promises and then not come through. And we would just end up realizing that we're, we just should have done it ourselves. We would have saved more time. No doubt. I mean, like one of the things that I'm really inspired by in my prior interview, I, I interviewed um, Michael Clark, who owns a, a fantastic and also beautifully branded a business called The Grind Shop here in Jersey City. And in the middle of the pandemic as well, he opened up the Grind General store. And I just love it when people, regardless of what's going on on the outside, I like to see people leaning into what they're into doing and understanding that, you know what, if I spend my time focusing on things I have no control over, that's not going to yield anything positive. But if I can discipline myself to focus on that, which I can control of, maybe there's opportunities here, or maybe there's experiences here that might not have otherwise been visible or available that I can take advantage of. Not that anybody wants to deal with challenges, but you know what I'm saying? Like, and I, I've spoken to a lot of guys that are like, you know, hey, didn't expect this, wasn't something we saw, but you know what, we had already begun it. So we're going to finish it up because we can't just look one day ahead. Yeah. I, I also think through the process of action and just doing things, you learn a lot as you go. And we signed a lease in Rockaway in November for a space in a brand new construction in a condo complex. And it was raw. It was completely empty. And I think the important thing for me, at least, and Sam and those that we work with is to understand that whatever vision you have in your mind in the beginning might not be exactly how it turns out at the end. 
And to be able to roll with it and kind of be loose and creative and also like shelve ideas that we thought might have been great that turn out to be a little too difficult or like turn out to be a little too expensive or, you know, and find other ways to accomplish the goal. And um, if you're able to let go of, of ideas and not carry too much ego into it and be collaborative and always go with whatever makes the most sense, you can really get things done. I really like that. You're so right. I mean, I I try to remind myself of that a lot as well. Like, you don't want to force things. You want to, it's like sort of similar or, or related to what you're saying. Like, on the one hand, I enjoy sort of setting goals and visualizing the future and, and having those types of things. But then I equally, and, and perhaps even enjoy more, just refocusing back into the 24 hours that are in front of me and just giving the max effort and the max focus to whatever task that is at hand. You know what I'm saying? It's that um, balancing. But what you're talking about, which is another layer, which I really like, is not getting so married to the specific outcome that you have in your mind. Making the commitment that, hey, I'm going to work and I'm going to show up every day and I'm going to give it my all. But the outcome might be somewhat different, maybe better than I even envisioned if I'll allow myself to let that experience unfold and not have to force everything, right? Exactly. Yeah. We painted the walls probably a dozen times. We changed the look of the bathroom like five or six times until we found what was right. We have um, these partition walls in our restaurant that have subway tiling on them. And our initial idea was to have like a design in, in the tiling. And we couldn't figure out which one was right. If it was going to go diagonally or if we were going to do like stripes or, or squares or diamonds. And we couldn't figure out what felt right. Like none of it made sense to us. And once we started laying the tile we realized that maybe just having a random effect would be way cooler. So the base of the tiles are, are mostly black. And then we would just add like orange ones in random spots and then uh, went with that. And it looks really good. And it's also something you don't see anywhere else. What I really am getting from listening to you, uh, Eugene, is that I said it before, but I really like it. It's like business is an art form and there's so many ways to be artistic and creative and have fun. And almost like the more that you grab those opportunities, the stronger you make your business. Because like what you're describing is an experience that no one else has but you. They, no one can replicate that level of authenticity or that level of creativity because it just sort of happened organically, you know? And yet that final manifestation of those activities and that organic creation, that end yeah. product is phenomenal. It's also something that I, like, I can't stress this enough, but... It's something that I try to instill in our staff because I've been working in restaurants all my life. And for the most part, a lot of my superiors or my managers or like bosses, usually it's a top down directive where they tell you what to do and then they expect you to do it. And if you don't do it the right way, they get mad at you or like, and in a lot of cases, I, these cultures and these restaurants kind of cultivate a, a fear-based way of motivating people. And for me, I think it's important to understand that I'm not the only one with ideas. Sam's not the only one with ideas. The people who are doing the work every day are the ones that have the best idea of how to improve their station. So it's really important to create an environment where people feel safe to share whatever ideas they might have about their job. And in the end, it, it helps the restaurant succeed. I completely agree with you. Like 
when I'm working with people here at Woolco, I always view it in one way or another. I don't know if I'd say a collaboration. A lot of times I'm I'm always interested and I would say nine times out of 10, I will defer to the opinion of someone, whether it's our, our customer service team or someone in sales or someone in accounts receivables. I think you, what you say is so true. People want to have ownership of their jobs. And a lot of times companies don't give them the space to do that. And I think a lot of people who are in positions of, of management or leadership or ownership feel that the paradigm is you have to tell people what to do. In reality, I've found, Eugene, that the people that work here do much better work that they're much prouder of and has a much better impact on our company when they are the ones who generate the idea because then they have full ownership of it and they're proud of it. Right. Yeah. Definitely. And uh, I think that's I think that's so important. So prior to opening the the full service restaurant that you have now, you obviously had a a spot on the beach. I'm curious. First of all, what's and I know that the times we're in now are very unique. So just sort of backing out the the general uniqueness of the times we're in. How have you found the full service experience in Rockaway? Because I know that the Rockaway Beach community has been just really booming for many, many years now. How have you found it somewhat different operating year-round as opposed to, I know you, I believe you opened up in 2017, right, with the spot on the beach? Correct. Yeah, we were open seasonally on the boardwalk every summer from 2017 through 2019. And then we opened our year-round location this July. And we understand that we're, we're in a far-flung part of New York City. And it's a smaller community. And I, I would call the Rockaways less a neighborhood and more of a small town. It's people only pass through here during the summer. So it's it's a lot busier in the summertime. And we were anticipating a, a drop off in the winter, but didn't know what it would look like. And that's what we're going through now. And we have seen a dip in sales because we don't have the influx of beach going masses coming in from the city. But we are surprisingly doing really well. <laughs> We're covering costs. We haven't had to cut any hours for our employees. And um, we are also able to pay down debt. So we're doing all right. I think that's phenomenal. And I think it's only going to get better because like you mentioned in the small town, so many restaurants that are operating in Brooklyn and Jersey City, Manhattan that are not in seasonal spots. If one can build up sort of a, a client base within the community. And if one can become a staple of the community, whether it's the Rockaways, whether it's Williamsburg, whether it's the Upper East Side, whether it's Hoboken, doesn't matter. That's your foundation. And I think that you guys, by having the, obviously you've got the seasonal spot, but by now, you know, sort of having this opportunity, I have no doubt that you're building now and will continue to build an incredible loyal base of people who live in that small town, which will probably accelerate sales beyond what they would have been come summer. Because all these people are saying, you got to check out Super Burrito. Right. Yeah. It, it's interesting because when we were operating seasonally on the boardwalk, we realized we had something because the word of mouth was spreading really fast. We were really busy. We were always one of the top selling food concessions at the 97th Street concessions on the boardwalk. And part of our grand plan was always to open a year-round brick and mortar. And again, this goes back to kind of being able to pivot and let go of ideas and trade them in for better ones. But our idea from, from the onset, when we first opened seasonally, was that we would eventually open a brick and mortar somewhere in Manhattan or somewhere in Brooklyn and like kind of go back 
to places with higher foot traffic and like and places that have more exposure and there was one day towards the end of our third season when i was walking through manhattan and i was seeing all these like venture capital fast casual food concepts everywhere and i didn't recognize any of them but i could see that there was big money behind them and they were all like different versions of shake shack or different versions of sweet green or like a bull place or all kinds of different things and i realized that the market was oversaturated and that if we were going to go into manhattan and try to open another fast casual taqueria people would probably just walk right past it and end up going to Shake Shack anyways. And in Rockaway, we had a real following and people really liked our food. So I spoke to Sam and I was like, I think we should stay in Rockaway. Like we should, the people in Rockaway got us here and they love and appreciate what we do. And we should reward them with our product. What you did by staying in the Rockaways makes sense on every level. But again, it's it's like so many of the decisions as I'm listening to you, so many of your decisions around your business emanate from a place of creativity or just a place from the heart. And yet they also, probably because of that, but but it's important to note, they also happen to be super smart business decisions that reinforce and enhance your brand and enhance your business. It's funny how things work like that, right? It is. Yeah. And and thank you for saying that. Um, another part of, of being in business is for me, at least so much of it is figuring it out day by day. Like I never thought I would have the opportunity to own my own business. I never thought I'd have the opportunity to run my own business. And I frankly, I didn't think I would be a businessman. I thought I would just be a line cook and like a wandering boy poet who would travel around on a shoestring budget. So it's so much of what is fun and invigorating about having a business is understanding that we can make our own choices and we can make our own decisions. And as soon as I understood the, f- the freedom that came with that, I realized we could have a lot of fun with it. You know, like one of, one of the ideas we had was kind of like a tongue in cheek nod at how fast food restaurants have, they have these big posters of like their specials. You know, if you drive by a McDonald's or something, they'll have a big poster of a Big Mac in the window and it says like two Big Macs for $5 or something like that. So like Sam very much loves all like visually related work. Why not have Sam make these like awesome posters of whatever specials we're going to do and then put them in our windows, just like the big fast food giants, but do it in our own way and do it ourselves. That way it gratifies his desire to be creative in that field of graphic design and film and things like that. And then it also gratifies my desire to be creative in the kitchen and come up and also push myself to be a better cook. So yeah, things like that. Like You know, it's like really cool because like we haven't even talked about the cuisine, but I know the cuisine is amazing because that's what enabled you to build up the massive following that you did on Rockaway, you know, beach and then open up the, um, the full season, you know, the full year round restaurant. But what's so cool, and a lot of people who listen to this podcast are people who aspire to own their own business, their own restaurant, their own bar. And listening to you, I think it's such an important message for people to hear because business, you know, obviously there's major financial aspects to it and you have to be profitable at some point. You have to do all this, but don't sleep on the creativity and the authenticity and the fun and you keep mentioning, and you're so right. I mean, like when it's your business, people always talk about certain aspects of it, but you really get to decide what you communicate to the world. You get to have this living, breathing thing that can be as creative and as diverse and as impactful as you want it to be. Exactly. 
Yeah. There is all the nuts and bolts of it too, of, of balancing books and keeping track of inventory and costs and all the, all of the office work related to it. And also being responsible for people who are in your employ and wanting the best for them. And so there's a lot of other aspects to it. And I don't want to just sound like this is to come from a place of like of idealism. But um, I think if you are able to bear the mantle of responsibility in a gracious way and understand that a lot of requirements that come from being a business owner have to do with tons of work, like constant work, putting in hours and hours of daily effort, and then accepting that responsibility in a way where you don't pass it off on other people or project your frustrations on people around you. And if you're able to bear that load, it can inspire everyone around you to want to try harder as well. That's so well said. And you're right. I mean, one of the most important aspects of being a business owner and something I'm always trying to be mindful of and improve on is my own psychology, the way that I'm communicating with the people that I'm working with, and the overall vibe. If you're the leader of an organization, people are going to look to you. And if your mood and if your behavior is uptight and short and negative, that's the culture you're going to create. And you don't want that. You don't want that. I know. It's also, it's one of the things that I've been very cognizant of and also somewhat uncomfortable with is, is the fact that when you're the boss, whether you want to be or not, you are the leader. People will look to you. There's a power dynamic. People are depending on you for their jobs and depending on you to be able to pay rent and survive in this world. And if you wanted to, you could deprive them of that. So there is a power dynamic. And it's something that for anyone going into business, it's something that you should uh, accept immediately <laughs> and also be, be mindful in the ways that you, you wield that power. Definitely. I mean, I, what I would say to anybody sort of adding on to your comment is if you want to lead people, you have to start by leading yourself and, and being an example. You cannot have a company and say that the culture of your company is all about caring about your customers and being empathetic and you don't behave that way. Or you, you want everyone to be polite and you want everyone to be behaving in a way that you're not behaving. So definitely, if you're going to take on the, the opportunity and, and go on the journey of owning your own business, you definitely want to be someone who I think is good at introspection and learning and adapting and changing and not being closed-minded or egotistical because we can all learn and we can all improve. And there's no reason to be closed-minded. That's just a defense mechanism that will not serve you in business. Yeah. I also, this is kind of a side note, but it's related. Like I kind of have a gripe with a lot of restaurants that I've worked in in the past where managers will kind of glibly refer to everyone as a family, but then not treat you with respect or, or <laughs> with compassion, you know? So yeah, it's like, I'm always, there's something coercive about how businesses can operate sometimes in wanting to motivate people to do things for them. And at the end of the day, like as the owner, you have to realize that people aren't prepping Pico de Gallo all day long because that's their undying passion. It's because our prep cooks have family members that they want to take care of, or it's a means to an end. So I'm always very grateful for all of the effort that 
everyone puts into their work, but I also want to create an environment where they feel safe doing the work and they also feel appreciated and they feel supported. Well, again, it's just another example of the many that we've had in our conversation, Eugene, where the decisions you're making are emanating from the heart and from a value system. And yet they happen to be the smartest and most important decisions you can make in business. I know I've been very blessed that many of the people who work here have worked for me for 10, 20, 30 years, okay? And when you have people that are in your organization for that amount of time, they know you. You're not going to fool anybody. If you, if you, if you think you're going to manipulate people or you think you're going to get them to think one thing when you're trying to trick them, you can't. The only way you can get that is you have to be effective and you have to be authentic. But what's great about what you're saying from a business standpoint now, even though it's emanating from the heart and it should, people work for money People have a need for respect. They have a need for acknowledgement. They have a need to be creative. And you can satisfy all those needs in a business if you're mindful of it and if you discipline or, or I don't even know discipline, but if you're mindful of it and you create a framework in which those behaviors are rewarded. I mean, I will tell you one of the things that I always do, and it's, it's mechanic. It's not something I thought of in a contrived manner. Whenever I see anybody in this company, whenever they're leaving, or if I, don't know, if I know I'm not going to see them till tomorrow, I always end it by saying thank you, because I'm so grateful. Because without the team, without the people who work in an organization, without employees, whatever word you want to use, let's just call it what it is, without these people given their mm-hmm. effort, you don't have a, I don't have a business. I agree. I don't have a successful company. Yeah. And it also makes me appreciate humanity as a whole. I know that's kind of a, it's, <laughs> it sounds uh, what's the, like, like an exaggeration or something, but it makes me appreciate other lines of work, other um, trades or things like where everyone is kind of contributing to the society in their own way. And to think that you you know everything and that you can solve every problem is foolish. So it also, this way of thinking also extends to the way we want to treat our customers because you never know what someone is capable of or what they're doing or how their day is going or anything. So you, you kind of want to start from a base level of respect and kindness and just be as helpful as possible. And in a way that that energy is contagious. Like people, there have been so many situations where throughout my career, not just at Super Burrito, but in other restaurants as well, where you have to deal with a frustrated customer, someone who's upset about something that went wrong or wasn't up to expectations. And if you take it personally and internalize it and then act out defensively, both of you are going to have a bad experience and both of you are going to go and tell your friends about how crappy it was. But if you can turn it around on them and just be there and and look to resolve the the issue at hand, it will solve the problem a lot faster and it will also leave a good impression. No question about it. I mean, one that has to do with taking your ego out of it. Some very stupid people that I've seen them do this, believe it or not, where they'll say, hey, I'm the owner. You can't speak to me that way. That is the absolute most idiotic approach. One of the things that that I do in, at Woolco is, and we try to avoid it, but if I ever have a customer that is a bad experience or is really upset about something, whatever it is, I want to take that call. And I learned this from my dad. The first thing I say to the person after I, I let them completely express themselves uninterrupted, I don't care what they're saying, I listen silently. The first thing I say after that is I say, thank you for taking the time to let me know what didn't work for you. Because the easiest thing for you to do would be to hang up the phone 
never call us again, go away. We not only lose a customer, we lose the opportunity to get better. Because nine times out of 10, the information they're sharing with me, if I actually make myself, which is easy for me to do because this is how I think, the information that's sharing is going to make Woolco a better company. And once you start treating people like that, I would say 99 times out of 100, maybe more, then the temperature drops on the other person's end because they know they're dealing with someone who genuinely cares about what they're saying and is going to take action to solve it. And then I end by saying, you know, this was really great that I had an opportunity to speak with you, that you gave me an opportunity to make my business better. I hope that it's been resolved in a manner that works for you. And if not, you know, you have my number, you have my email address. So I completely agree with you. You have to take those circumstances where there's an unhappy customer and turn it into a positive. Again, it's back to what you're saying. I believe, Eugene, like people that react defensively or or when they deploy their ego to try to convey a sense of strength or superiority, which is completely illusory and foolish, but in their minds, I think it's just a weak defense mechanism. I think the real smart and strong thing to do is to just quietly listen, be open to the information, and then respond appropriately. Listen, this has been a very enjoyable conversation for me, but I would say for, for our listeners, particularly those of you that are you know thinking about opening a spot or something that you're dreaming about. So much information here that if you can internalize it and make it your sort of core foundation now, like the great thing about, well, one of the many great things about what you have there in Super Burrito is because everything about what you've done is so authentic and it really communicates something. You had mentioned earlier about all these sort of places that were popping up in Manhattan with that VC money. But that's not scalable. What you have is genuinely scalable because if and when you were to decide to open up another location, whether it's in Brooklyn, whether it was in Chicago, whether it's back in the West Coast, wherever you wanted to, you're bringing with it an incredibly interesting and rich narrative behind it that is clearly communicated in your brand and in everything you stand for. That's what makes a solid, scalable, attractive business that people want to go to. It's the human connection. It's it's the authenticity, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I think also it's what motivates you. When I think about scaling the company, I think about opportunities for people who have been with us for since the beginning, who know the ins and outs of our operation to, to step into bigger roles and and make better livelihoods. You know, I think about the potential for being able to afford healthcare. I think about all of us. I'm always thinking about if this gets bigger, if we're able to make it bigger, then it will benefit everyone involved. I I feel good about knowing that that's how I genuinely feel. That's how Sam feels. And I think it will work to our advantage. Well, I just want to say, Eugene, first off, I'm so glad that I had this opportunity to have this conversation with you. I mean, I appreciate you guys. You know, you're great customers and we're honored to be uh, affiliated with you, but I've really enjoyed listening to you and so much of what you've discussed, I, I not only agree with, like I said, you, you really are encapsulating both elements that are essential, which is on the one hand, everything you're doing, as I listen to you very closely, is coming from a good place, it's coming from the heart, you're thinking about other people, you're thinking about people in a very empathetic and kind way, and in doing that, you're making the absolute best business decisions that people can make. Because when you make business decisions by being manipulative, tricking people, viewing people as expendable, cutting corners, or even something not as malign as that, just, hey, 
a sweet leaf works, so we'll do a business called Leaf Sweet, and we'll open it up across. You know, those don't last because people see through it. There's nothing there. So yeah. I've really um, this summer has been absolutely yeah. insane, right? With everything that's happening in the world, with COVID, with the protests, with the president, and so much uncertainty and so much fear and tension, and people have been. We, we've all been taking it day by day and trying to make it through, but it, it's a time right now of great adversity. And one of the things I'm very, very proud of is our restaurant has always been very welcoming and warm. And I've gotten a lot of feedback from a lot of customers who have said that like they felt like our little bubble was like one of the last like vestiges of of happiness and peace like that they felt that more relaxed when they came into our space and that that really touched me because that's that's been our intention this whole time like that's what we want to create so i'm really I'm, i'm very proud of that and i also think no matter how scary and terrifying life can be you can always strive for that under any circumstances and who knows what the outcome will be but at least you can strive for that Eugene, I want to thank you for taking the time to speak with me. I've gotten an enormous amount of enjoyment and value from this interview, and um, I've learned a lot, and I know that uh, my audience has as well. So this was Eugene Cleghorn, the co-owner of Super Burrito with Sam Neely. I'm going to put it in the show notes, the website and the address, but can you just quickly tell us the address and the website? Because I know after listening to this, people are going to want to check you out, whether it's in the summer or right now. Yeah, the address is 190 Beach 69th Street in Arvern, Queens, uh, zip code 11692. And our website is superburritonyc.com. And you should definitely check them out on Instagram at superburritonyc and go to their website right now if you want to see what great branding and just a great website looks like. So, Eugene, thank you for everything, man. I've really, really enjoyed this. And I I just hope you have a great day and uh, just continued great success with everything you're doing. Thank you for having me on. This is my first podcast and it's been very enjoyable. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Eugene. Well, that was a really, really enjoyable interview with Eugene Cleghorn, co-owner of Super Burrito with Sam Neely. And what I love about what they're doing is every decision they make comes from a place of goodness and from the heart and from a place of empathy. And yet the decisions that they're making are the absolutely necessary and appropriate decisions that you want to make and need to make for your business to be uh, strong and lasting and scalable and for having a business that has a positive impact on everyone that comes into contact with it. And I just want to thank all of you for listening to the podcast. And if you enjoyed it, please subscribe, give it a review. I would really appreciate that. If you know people that are interested in this type of content, I would love it if you'd recommend the podcast to them. I especially enjoy hearing from everyone. So please keep the emails coming at stephen at wolcofoods.com. Or you can DM me at Wilco Foods on our Instagram account at Wilco Foods. And uh, most importantly, everybody, thank you and have an awesome, awesome day. Thank you for listening to The Profitable Table fed by Wilco Foods. Please be sure to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. And to learn more about Wilco Foods or Stephen Toberoff, please visit us at wolcofoods.net.